When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather real close to those radios and turn the dial to make sure that you're hearing this crisp voice precisely. This is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team, the number one podcast that talks about video game development, video game developers, and the lifestyle of those people. And I wanted to say those individuals, but I'm not here by myself. It's bad for my health. Helping me bring you this awesome podcast this week is none other than Dr. Brandon Pham, ladies and gentlemen, medical doctor, Brandon Pham. I guess I am. At least I play one on the podcast. This is Brandon Pham. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. Special welcome to our guest, Rebecca Saltzman. Hey. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. That, that last name sounds familiar. <laughs> I might be getting old and just mixing all of our guests together. I yes. have a relatively famous husband, I guess. <laughs> there we go. I'm just teasing. So Adam, of course, joined us a few I would say 80 podcasts ago. Uh, thankfully, uh, we have Rebecca here this time. So see ya, Adam. Uh, so uh, this is the part of the podcast where we asked our guests, such as yourself, to introduce yourself to our audience, talking about a little bit about your background, where you are, where you're going. Just a little, uh, a little peek into your life. Okay. Uh, my name is Becca Saltzman, and I am one half of Finji. Um, so I kind of do all the biz, basically, all the business, contracts, legal, finances, marketing, um, and a bunch of design work. Um, and Finji is an independent uh, developer and also a micro publisher. So we released A Night in the Woods two years ago. We're launching Overland and Wilmot's Warehouse this year, and we've got Tunic coming sometime in the future. Um, and yeah, Adam and I have been doing this for like a decade now. Um, I know today's my birthday, actually. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, I'm so sorry that you're spending it totally my birthday. <laughs> no, don't worry. We have a gift for you at the end of the podcast. Yeah, we have a gift. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've been doing this for like, actually it's probably over 12 or over 10 years now. Um, and in a former life I did, um, like sort of. PR and media relations. Um, awesome. Yeah, so I didn't start out in games. I just kind of ended up here. I feel bad because your resume makes me and Brandon feel like our last three years was trash. All we <laughs> yeah. did was make a podcast. She's <laughs> like, oh, we released our own games. We were publishing other people's games. It's amazing. Like, Damn it, dude. That's awesome. In my head, I'm still like 17 years old. So <laughs> I don't know. When I when I think like I'm 38, I'm like, what the hell has happened to me? <laughs> We're I'm, reaching. I'm right there with you. Brandon's still young. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the one of the things that we're always interested, in, especially as aspiring indie developers, a lot of our listeners out there are always looking for that side of the business. Um, what was your first impression jumping into the game side of things? Uh, okay, so I'm just going to preface this. So Adam and I have been together since he was 16 and I was 17. Oh, oh so man. I've known him since, oh. yeah, we were wee babies. 
That's back awesome. in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually like I graduated a year before him and eventually we ended up at the same university. We didn't start out there, mm-hmm. but he was super into playing counter-strike mm-hmm. and I hated it. Mm-hmm. So that was my, like I played some <laughs> games when I was like a kid, like super Nintendo, whatever, but man, did I hate games when mm-hmm. Adam was in college mm-hmm. and I was definitely that annoying girlfriend. <laughs> and I apologize on behalf of all <laughs> You don't Horrible. have to apologize. Twenty-year-old girlfriends. My wife is um, exactly like that. Necessary, right? Like, yeah. yeah, they need to know there's an upper the balance. Is there, yeah, yeah there was definitely right? like, yeah. it was it was out of balance. Um, but yeah, so I didn't start playing. I played when I was a kid, and I played. Um, I fell back into it in college because of Adam, um, and yeah, like my first foray in was um, I quit my job my real job um, and went to GDC Mm -hmm. because Adam went Mm -hmm. and yeah, like I went as like the wife basically in like 2009, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was after Wordle came out. So it was 2009 before Cannibal. Um, And I, at that point, like all the Indies could fit into like literally like a (laughs) tiny bar There were like 34 of us or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just like kind of fell in love with everybody who was there. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, who are these like passionate, amazing, brilliant humans? Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really have any interest in playing or playing really or making games. Um, and that just over the course of like 2009, 2014, it was just like I woke up one day and was just like, oh, my God, I'm a game developer. So it was like really slow and gradual, gradual. And um, Adam always he sort of jokes that he won in some weird way. Um, I'd actually like to touch on that because you gave yourself a design credit. You're saying like, I helped do some of the design. I do. So somewhere along the line, he had, or maybe you walked in yourself or, you know, did you kind of fall into running? Actually, it wasn't walking. It was running. So both Adam and I, right now we're out of shape, but uh, we are uh, currently disgraced long distance runners. Um, We really like running half marathons um, and just the last two years have been kind of crazy. So we sort of backed off it a bit. Um, but we had our first baby in 2011 and our second in 2013. And in between all of that, we were sort of training for half and full marathons. Jeez. Um, right. I know. <laughs> like I start saying this stuff out loud. I'm like, we are, we are really dumb. <laughs> Why do we do this to ourselves? That's great. Um, but between 2011 and 2013, we were working on kind of our last big mobile title, which is called Hundreds. Mm-hmm. And we were running every single morning at the crack of dawn. So we had this tiny child and we were training for races and stuff. Um, and we, at that point, I called myself Adam's sounding board, which is mm-hmm. like when you are sort of around games for a long time, you start using this language like, I'm just this, I'm just this, I'm just the money, I'm just the sounding board. And at that point, I really did believe I was just the sounding board. Um, And we used to talk through the design of hundreds and the mechanics of of hundreds as we did like, you know, three to 15 miles while pushing our like baby in a stroller. Um, and (laughs) I know, right. Superhero and yours. Well, because like half the time I don't necessarily understand, especially back then I didn't really understand the programming or really what Adam was getting at, but I was really good asking questions Mm -hmm. about the things he was poking at. So I could, if you ask a dumb enough question, you force the person, especially Adam, he'll just, I mean, you've talked to him, he'll explain everything to you. And in doing so, you're able to sort of like poke it into a direction that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
And that's what happened with hundreds to the point where like, we didn't even realize that I did a bunch of the design on it until like two or three years later. Cause we were like, we had babies and like for part of that, I was actually pregnant with our second. So it was, yeah, 2014, 2015. I was like, I did a lot of design work. And I was like, you did. And you're in the special thanks and not credited properly. <laughs> and we've updated that game multiple times since. And I'm still in the special thanks because we mm. always forget. Mm. Like, and it's we're tempted to like do one update that just says fixed Becca in the credits. Mm. Like that's going to be the only update on <laughs> I iOS. Support I support that. Um, yeah, but yeah, on them on that. Yeah. We joke about it every time. Like yeah. we should really fix that. That's kind of embarrassing. Um, but yeah, that's how I ended up in design. So I don't do a lot of like the daily. I mean, I do do a lot of daily nitty gritty stuff. If if Adam gets stuck or we're stuck, um, especially on Overland. But Adam generally handles handles most of the creative, mm -hmm. and then a lot of the sort of higher level design that happens not necessarily like sitting in the studio all day long. I'm pretty active on, especially in Overland, the weird um, uh, ways in which we are trying to build out a system where the players tell their own stories to themselves. Like what kinds of things can we add to the game to help them tell better stories? Like that's my main interest in games, to be perfectly honest, is mm -hmm. like a hardcore strategy game that encourages normal people to tell stories and share them with others um and like mechanics ui whatever i'll sit there and test it and work with it um but adam's way better at that and yeah i'm just interested in weird psychological hooks just to clarify for the audience as well we're not necessarily talking directly about the narrative story but more so maybe player experience as like oh man i went left and then i did this and then that happened um more like have you guys played pandemic like the board game i played mm -hmm. pandemic okay so you know when you finish pandemic whether you win or lose you spend the next 35 minutes yelling about every mm -hmm. single move in the game but you've sort of taken on this i'm not like much of a role-playing person mm -hmm. but you take on the role of whatever you were in pandemic um when we started Overland specifically, we were playing a ton of pandemic with these two friends in Austin. Um, and we couldn't figure out at that point, we talked a lot about like, why do I love strategy board games, but I really don't like strategy video games. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that I really like about strategy board games is one cooperative and two, this like barely making it out and sort of creating a story as you go. Oh. We're like, well, that's kind of interesting. Like how can we poke at that as a design thing, but also scratch this like pretty hard strategy um design thing that adam had going on mm -hmm. so well last question for me for now now that you are you know so experienced in design do you find that you're interested in doing a lot more of it moving forward um i guess what's your where's your thermometer on how you feel about it today given your experiences uh, um i'm probably always going to be kind of like weirdly on the outside okay um and not for any other reason other than like my plate is so full with all the other stuff that I handle. Um, every like once a year for the last two years, um, Adam and I have actually ridden out. Are you guys familiar with Train Jam? Oh, you, like yeah. the yeah, the train that leaves in Chicago. Yeah, the game by the time you get off the train. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we get in, get on the train in Chicago, and the whole train is just video game developers. And we get off basically at GDC in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It's like forty-two or fifty-two hours or something. Mm -hmm. um, I had never actually done a game jam before in my life until 2017. Mm -hmm. And we did one on train jam 2017 and then 2018. 
um, which is really fun for me because like Adam makes it's whatever crazy thing that I want to make, mm-hmm. we make that. And I was like, okay. So whatever, yes, yeah, so whatever comes out of it is like somebody that definitely comes from outside the game space has to make a game. So we're mm-hmm. not doing arcade or anything. It's usually some weird narrative thing that I want to mess around with. Um, so usually most of my design interest is in um, storytelling in some ways and not necessarily just writing, but just what can we do with this? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like if I ever if I ever had infinite time and money to do nothing ever again, I would love to build out a memory system for somebody's life and you can only follow it back one way. Um so you got to obviously miss out on lots of things, but what you know about a person at the end would be different for everybody and it's sort of like um the only person who really knows you is yourself mm-hmm. and everybody else only gets a fraction of the picture. And I think that's a really interesting thing kind of in the human experience. Um, but that's like infinite time and money. Like who's going to build a brain you of guys, memories. If I knew them, I would put you in touch with quantic dream, like right away. <laughs> I think you, uh, I think there's some parallels, I guess, between what you're thinking about or the types of ideas that you've had just in me knowing you through this podcast. I would love to see what you would do with their team. You know what I mean? Because they kind of make yeah. some things that remind me of that. Nice. Not that specific idea, but just the wavelength. Mm-hmm. You guys seem to share some of the wavelength. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay, well, I'll stop I, asking design questions. You know, I'm the designer, so I, I nerd out when I have the opportunity to pick somebody's <laughs> brain. Yeah, I'll ask one question uh, regarding to what was it like 10 years ago when you started the work with Adam? And how um, was that? Because I believe I asked Adam the same exact question and he kind of. That's like a weird. It's a weird it was question. Great. So let's see. Because we've been. Yeah, it's a weird question. We've been together so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we started our original company in 2006. Mm-hmm. And then we. Like, so that was like the turnkey company that because we took on advertising projects. And then the iOS company, the first one we had was 2008 ish. Mm. Yeah. And then we turned all of those companies into one company in like 2014. Mm. So I quit my job in 2008. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm like, you, yeah, 10 years, little over 10 years I've been indie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like a lifetime. It's a lot. I can't believe it's, it's been a decade. <laughs> a decade in, you guys have been doing something right. Let's give those kudos for sure. Cause... We've almost burned this down multiple times. <laughs> You're doing it very right. If that's the case. I don't know any other indies personally. And I, I consider myself knowing you personally now that I've seen you quote unquote face to face. That has made it a decade, right? Like a decade mm-hmm. in indie. We're talking first iPhone comes out, still out. You know what I mean? Still made. It, we had an original game yeah. on the first iPhone. <laughs> Do you know how much has changed over that period of time, right? So like <laughs> the fact that you guys are in then still here kicking ass now is like commendable, 100%. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, a, a decade for a game developer in general is amazing. Seriously. Um, that one is of the, true. <laughs> one of the things that we we are very curious about, and our listeners and people who've been in the game biz are starting to go indies, like the business side of things, mm-hmm. which I still have very very iffy about. Like I have no idea how it works. Yeah. Uh, I, I can come up with a yeah, I can come up with the game, but when it comes to like I have an idea and go to to starting to pitch investors or anybody, 
Like, what's your suggestion there? I keep hearing things like, if you have the money, don't go to investors. If you do go to investors, just get ready to give up something. Um, return. All of that is right and all of that is wrong, to be perfectly honest. Like, the question you asked, I could literally talk about for the next, like, six weeks of my life and probably only touch on a fraction of it. Um, right. Because... It, it it all starts with like initially, and we talked a little bit before this call started, like I'm doing a talk at GDC sort of about mm-hmm. pitching and the or the the title is like very clickbaity, which is mm-hmm. like, you think you're ready to pitch to a publisher and it just says you're not. And <laughs> I don't mean that in like a super snarky way. I mean, that is like two years of my mentoring of like mm-hmm. the last two years of my life have been sort of walking teams through pitching mm-hmm. and pitching is like a much bigger thing. Um, and I'll get to that, but it starts with your game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game itself can't be sort of divorced out of that pitch. So the things that you can do with your business plan all depends on the thing that you start with. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people kind of come at it like, well, you need to do this, this, and this. So it's like, well, I'm making this kind of game. Mm-hmm. You can there's only so many places often that you can go with the type of thing that you're making. Like mm-hmm. if you have sort of a short form story game, I can't tell you to go and pitch that for like hundreds of thousands of dollars to sort of these various people. Like there's, that's not a viable business plan because investors want to make money. Consoles want to sell copies. Like you always have to think what is, what is the goal between you making the game and the person you're talking to? and where is the overlap? And that's mm-hmm. the thing you're pitching to is the overlap. Mm-hmm. Anything out the outside of that doesn't matter in the relationship at that exact point. Like you can be friends and everything, but um, yeah, where is the overlap? So like if you take a project like Night in the Woods and you just think about the three consoles and the bare knowledge that you have of the demographic, um, the pitch for each one of those consoles is different based on the overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, like PlayStation is a pretty easy pitch for night in the woods. Um, it's like a teenage game about feelings that looks, it's beautiful. And it's sort of like, is cool. And mm-hmm. I mean, Scott would die if he heard me, like, he'd be like <laughs> it, it's not, it is like night in the woods looks very cool. It looks very hipster, even though like none of the characters in it are actually hipsters, mm-hmm. but it felt even at the very beginning, a very obvious fit. For PlayStation, but it's a much harder fit, even though the games like won a billion awards for Xbox, mm-hmm. just based purely on the demographic. Like if you go to an E3 um, presser for Xbox, it's like an hour and a half of machine gun fire. Mm-hmm. Like they've got a corner on a market mm-hmm. um, and Night in the Woods, like pitching Night in the Woods to Xbox was a very different experience because our overlap is different. Mm-hmm. What are they actually going after? Um, on that uh, relationship and then pitching it to to Nintendo was even more different because at that point, the switch was just coming out. Who are the early adopters and what kinds of games are they looking for and how do they use the media and how does, how do their fan base use the internet? Like, so like those are the sort of things you think about when you're even preparing a pitch and that's just for consoles. When you get an investor it's a whole, whole different like just line items of things that you're actually thinking about but the main thing is what is the overlap on the relationship and what are you both trying to gain 
Mm. And if you tailor it towards that, you're usually heading in the right direction. Mm. But that's, you can even take this outside. So like consoles and investors, you also pitch to the media. Yeah. So when you talk about your game, I, we always laugh. Um, at, we have this Venn, uh, Venn diagram, which is like true things about your game and like lies. <laughs> and then like the middle or it's like, no, it's like true things about your game and boring trash or something or boring mm-hmm. trash and lies. I don't know. But mm-hmm. the middle is like, that's the only piece you ever talk to the public about mm-hmm. is the interesting stuff. Um, I have a, all publishers have this, but we're, we will sit at a show floor. We'll be at PAX and people will know that you're, you publish games and we're weird because we only publish like one at a time, mm-hmm. but the bigger publishers get it way, way, way worse where somebody will come up and pitch their game and I'll get like 30 minutes of lore. Mm-hmm. That's boring trash. <laughs> it might be super interesting. Like I have lore yeah. for Overland, but I don't tell anybody mm-hmm. lore because mm-hmm. that's, that's a hundred percent from the exterior, just boring trash mm-hmm. um, in something like a pitch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's like, how do you talk to the public? How do you talk to press? How do you talk to consoles? How do you talk to people with money? And all of those are pitching all of those are the same relationship of where your interests need to overlap. And you tailor each one of those messages to that person. So you don't waste anyone's time. Yeah. If I learned anything, like I'm already happy knowing that because you saved me a ton of time right there. Cause I have this idea that I've been writing for almost a whole year now. I would love to talk about like actually the lore and backstory and think that I need to set that up so that you understand the game experience. But now I'm quite embarrassed. <laughs> I, I would I talk about. I was gonna like, we were gonna shoot a duck that day. <laughs> yeah, I would literally talk about Overland's lore forever. Okay. But what's more interesting is why are we making it? What were influences at the beginning of it? Mm-hmm. What are the feelings we're trying to generate out of the players? How do I want them to play? Um, what ways can I get them to interact with others as they play? Either locally on a couch or over Twitch, like streaming, like those are the things if you're talking just about to anyone, that's the things they're like, ah, this is how I share it. Mm -hmm. This is how I talk to other people about it. And I can give the coolest bits about lore in the shortest sentence possible. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's going to give them the feeling that I want. Um, and then that changes, like, you know, you get a little bit more lore if mm-hmm. not a lot, but a little bit more if it's like a, a, a confidential pitch document, because then I'm looking at like a five page, what essentially looks like a magazine spread um, on like a, a keynote or something that I've burned off to a, a PDF. Mm-hmm. Um that changes compared to, you know, the types of enthusiasm or excitement I get on a show floor. Mm-hmm. So what would you, should you expect if you're coming to GDC with a game? Like, are you trying to capture them minute by minute, you know, not try to bore them off until they finally ask, let me see more. And is there a follow-up after GDC or is it GDC one shot type of deal? Totally follow-ups. So if you're, if you're like, oof, you're in it right now. That's where you're at. Like just did the timeline. Yeah. So what you want at uh, GDC is your genre's version of like a vertical slice. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to give the person that you're showing the game to a complete 
playthrough experience in, I'm talking seven to 13 minutes, Mm. basically a demo. And you want it to be as polished as you can make it without hurting yourself. Mm. Um, So, but that changes per depending on the genre. Um, Something like Overland can show a vertical, a vertical slice. We didn't even call it a vertical slice. We call it like a gameplay game. gameplay slice maybe because it doesn't matter what the art looks like what matters is that the actions that you're doing in the game feel just as good as if the art was polished Mm. Um, because it's a strategy game it's a lot different but if i showed up with like a not art complete night in the woods vertical slice you'd be like what is this why are there pink boxes floating around this is awful i can't figure out what's going on because you need the context of everything that you see um So your vertical slice or your gameplay, uh, like sort of, yeah, mechanic slice needs to be, it needs to be complete and you, you should be able to do it in like a seven to 13 minute playthrough. Mm. Um, and that, that hundred percent depends on the genre. Some people can play for just a few minutes and be like, I know exactly what this is. Um, for night in the woods, especially that very first demo, I mean, you had a really long conversation with your mom, but as soon as you got out, you had a fight with the old guy and you're like, ah, I'm in like, I like this crotchety old man. He's really funny. Um, but yeah, Overland can sometimes take like seven to say yeah, seven to 15 minutes um, because it, you'd need to get them into a position where they have a close call where they escape something that should have killed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tunic is even different, like even more different. Like you can like run in, swing your sword around, whack some bad guys and put like cute animations on it. And you're like, done. <laughs> Fox is amazing. Cause you understand like it's a, it's a character with a sword. There's so much to lean on mm-hmm. that you're, as long as your uh, combat feels good. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing for Tunic. The combat is really sticky and the animation is whimsical and people are like, wow. And then like the art is sort of like the frosting on the cupcake. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it kind of depends on genre. But if you're, if you're talking to me, I got 30 minutes and I need to be able to see it as fast as possible because I got something going on 15 mm-hmm. minutes after our 30 minutes is up. Cause I, and I got probably walk. 17 blocks away (laughs) Mm -hmm. a sprint 17 blocks away to get to my next meeting um you really got to get to the bacon then huh yeah yeah um and finding finding that sweet spot i guarantee you you as a dev team are probably not going to find it Mm -hmm. you need to bring friends over you need to sit down you need to have them talk to you while they play you need to listen when they tell you like hey man this is not fun this is opaque. They can't figure out what's going on. The UI is really tricky. The buttons feel sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to take a game with like game plat, game pad controls and you have like a, you know, a platformer or something like try to make that one level feel really good. Um, Cause imagine trying to play super meat boy or something like a demo level and the controls suck. It would just be like so frustrating. You would just die over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and like that is a reasonable ask because um, it could even be just like, you know, one single, like you're making a, a, a one single Celeste level 
Mm. Like just the, just the one screen that mm. could be a vertical slice or you do two screens wide and the controls feel amazing on that. Mm. Like that way, somebody who understands games or publishing, they'd be able to be like, ah, there's something here. We could dig this out. What are they planning on doing? And then we'll ask for more info. Okay, guys, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Hey, guys, normally we have a commercial to run at the start of the podcast, but we're actually going to just jump in with some really cool news about what's going on at Quixel these days. Uh, Brandon's probably the best deliverer of the news, so I'm going to pass the mic to him. But we got some really cool stuff to tell you about what Quixel is doing as a gift to everybody who hasn't used their stuff yet. Brandon, why don't you tell the good people what I'm talking about? The folks at Quixel are always thinking about the people. They are by the people, for the people. And so this year, they're starting it off with having Quixel Mixer for free, completely free for one year. It's not even a GDU tie-in sponsor. It's just their own thing. And we just want to shout out to those guys over there doing a great job promoting great dev tools. So all the time you heard us bragging about Quixel tools, now you can go and just check it out for free and know that we weren't bullcrapping you guys. Like it's definitely worth getting into. So Yes. So if you are not busy, go to megascans.sc, download the Quixel Mixer for free. All they ask is for an email. They have also dropped 50 more free assets in their Megascans library for you to try out. So if you don't want to spend any money you want to start using the mixture program and start mixing textures, go ahead and download those. And if you like those and have finally decided to make the leap and get access to their full photogrammetry texture and assets, use our code GDU first three months for 30% off. Yeah. Do that in that exact order. And you're going to be a very happy game developer. Yeah, I personally challenge you guys to do what I did, which was just make something small and just see if you like the tool set. And you'll actually find it's surprisingly simple to get into. Uh, I'm the designer and I have fun using their stuff. So, you know, just give it a shot, see how you like it. And I promise you, you'll probably want to stick around. What if your team, uh, or maybe you might have even been in this position yourself, let's say the demo's not done enough to even show yet, but you do have like a teaser trailer or, you know, some visuals, I guess. What's your best one-two punch combination if you are going with like a visual treatment, maybe, you know, some sort of trailer and a promise that, you know, gameplay is on the way? I would do some B-roll. Um, trailers are good, but like, I know what trailer magic is. <laughs> like, I know exactly what that looks like. Yeah. Um, the cool thing is though, like, uh, you have to, like, I and other publishers and investors like we know we understand gray boxing we understand placeholder art we understand what all of this stuff is um like even when i show like a tunic like if i take tunic um like we did some behind the closed door stuff at e3 last year all half the stuff that we showed outside of the demo a lot of it was just gray boxed stuff Mm. um that's totally fine and legit. And that was to like press and they definitely don't usually see a lot of gray box. Um, So like when you talk to somebody who's used to seeing in development projects, like saying like, this is what I have and here's some B roll of it. If you don't have a playable, although if you have B roll, you have a playable Mm. and you can be like, you know, the controls are a little bit finicky right now. And this is what we've identified. Like that's, that means you're thoughtful and critical. We love that. Um, 
but then also like, like, this is what we're building. We, this is in development. We didn't just stop it when we finished, like we are still working on this. Yeah. Um, I get, I, there was one meeting I was in years ago. Um, and we had like the, a little short vertical slice, but I literally had no idea if they had made anything else in the game. So I was like, did you stop development after this or what are you working on? And they kind of, they did, there was no answer to that. And I was like, that's odd. That's not how I would do that. I would have like, we, we have all the junk that we're not showing publicly, but if you ask, we could just pull it up. Yeah. Um, so like, because it shows you're in, you're enthusiastic about your project. Like you want to, you want the person you're showing to be as enthusiastic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I always thought that was really weird. Cause like it, we could ask we're, we're developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'd be nice to know like, Hey, what else have you done? What are you working on now? Other than what you've shown me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have an answer for that mm-hmm. for sure. What what is the average expectation from when I know it ranges from project to project, but when it comes to having something to show, even with a handshake, we talk to a lot of people and it could be six months to nine months before a thing goes through. Well, mm-hmm. How true is that? Um, yes. <laughs> one of the last things I just, or one of the last things I worked on was seven months. Mm-hmm. start to finish um and that was like for, for one of my own personal things mm-hmm. um but then there's other stuff literally three days mm-hmm. between somebody calling me on the phone and me getting a contract wow. um and it just kind of depends oftentimes those three days ones are when somebody i don't know how they hear about it oh god they're signing with somebody and then somebody comes like barging in, like mm-hmm. we're interested too. That's usually when that kind of stuff happens. Um, when we negotiated tunic with Andrew and we'd been mentoring from, for like two years, it was probably like six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, just to like get paperwork sorted. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it just, it, it depends. Anything over like nine months is like, and I mean, this is for indies. I have no idea how AAA stuff works. I mean, when you're pushing around that kind of cash, I got, I got nothing. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, in the indie space, um, anywhere usually between like eight, eight weeks. And I haven't had anything ever go really much beyond like seven, eight months. Mm-hmm. Because by then, to be perfectly honest, like I've been like, you don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um you're obviously not that interested so either i need to drum up interest somewhere else or nobody's interested and i need to change my game plan because i'm wasting my time so i gotta find whatever i'm looking for in this relationship i need to find elsewhere Mm -hmm. how do you avoid people stringing you along like are there any like clear signs of like how this many isn't gonna go yeah how many times they're like hey next month yeah before you know like okay i, I can't i can't give any of the details around <laughs> this but it's happened multiple times right I somebody think. once told me i was scary which i find like i appreciate that comment but also i just can't handle people wasting my time 
There you go. Um, in a really good way. Like, um, there's a thing, it's kind of hard, actually, it's hard to do when you're indie because you kind of know everybody and your friends. Mm -hmm. So you have to, in your friends with your console reps, your friends with your like hardware people, your friend, your friends with everybody. But when it comes to business, Mm -hmm. I can't be a friend anymore while we're doing business. We can like totally meet up at the rum bar Mm -hmm. and get drunk at PAX together. But when I am negotiating a contract, I'm no longer your friend. I run a studio and I have to protect my developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be really a hard boundary for a lot of people. Um, but I've had a couple of moments where just in a meeting, like I can tell somebody's just given me a line of BS. Mm-hmm. And I'm and you just call like I just- I'm sure there are other people who can't or who won't, yeah. but I'm like I'm that's not right. That is incorrect. And unless you can offer me X, Y, and Z, like that's the only way that I can protect the interests of the developers that I'm representing or my own team that I've been paying for the last five years. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like, I'm not a charity. Like my developers are not a charity. My only goal aside from making beautiful things is to make sure that my developers can make another beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I want them to be able to pay for healthcare. I want them to be able to pay for their rent. I want them to be able to buy groceries. I want them to never crunch. And if oh. they did in the past, ever crunch ever again. And like, I take that responsibility super seriously. And if that means in a business meeting, I have to say something that might come across as like cold mm-hmm. or um, standoffish or whatever, like that's fine because the, uh, boundaries of the floor to the negotiations i already we already set those rules mm-hmm. and then when we get up we can meet up at pax or psx or e3 or gdc or whatever mm-hmm. we can be friends outside of negotiations um and i expect to be uh because like i put up the boundaries early Mm-hmm. Um, to where I can be really good friends with somebody and also not tolerate any shit. Mm-hmm. I really hope your studio does very well because <laughs> you're setting a model and a standard that I hope even big publishers could emulate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want cool. people to be honest. To, like yeah. that, it sounds sounds yeah, so too. naive, <laughs> but like I just want people to take care of the mm-hmm. people they work with and to be honest about it. So if you f up. Mm. Yeah, effed up, man. Yeah. Like, take responsibility and claim it, and then just fix it. Like, mm. and that's hard. Um, but I just, I just don't like seeing people kind of get hurt in the industry because, like, our job is so cool. We get to make such cool things, and I'm just tired of seeing people get burned out by it. Mm. Yeah. One of the common things that. Um, Larry and I would come across when talking and interviewing developers, especially when pitching and securing a deal, the make it or break it moment is when it comes down to the numbers. And uh, I've heard a couple of investors talk about like, uh, you know, they look at the numbers and even developers would just scrape by like, Hey, this is enough for me for rent food. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I made it so that it's survivable. Right. For me. They look at it and be like, you know, this is not risking enough. Like, it doesn't feel like you're taking any risk. <laughs> like, so how, how, what would you, 
do we stick by the numbers or what do you think? Like, what's the answer to that? If someone just comes back with something like that? Um, I guess it kind of depends, uh, to be perfectly honest, like you have to be honest with yourself about how many people you're trying to support mm-hmm. on the numbers. Um, because if the numbers don't support those people, either a, you have too many people or B your project's too big. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be one of those two things. Um, or C you have the wrong partner mm-hmm. or D you shouldn't be making whatever it is. Cause nobody's going to give you the money to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those are things that could happen. Um, I was thinking a lot cause I'm sort of, um, redoing a bunch of slides for my GDC talk. And I was thinking about this exact question, which we get asked all the time. And I go through budgets all the time for much larger projects that people are pitching out, not to us. Um, We just mentor a lot of people. Um, And we always get to the budget page. And I usually am cackling when I'm going through it, (laughs) which I totally get like, when I see like $15,000 a month programmer, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in San Francisco. Okay. 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 You got to get out of San Francisco. No one's going to pay these fees like on an indie game or whatever. Like that's crazy. But I, I was thinking like in my brain, I was like going through like the diet Mm -hmm. of like the tears of like, ah, this is like the breath mint and ramen diet and this is the budget you're going to ask for and here like college we we splurged on spaghetti mm-hmm. but pasta with no meat yeah. like and then you know you have the maybe i go out to dinner diet um and like they're depending on like who you're talking to will change the type of money that you could possibly ask for um i've seen wildly out of scope budgets um wildly out of scope budgets. Um, but if you're working with some, like um, if you're doing like, it's always really surprised us like big advertising contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a certain amount of money that they have to spend and they're operating on West coast or East coast cost of living. Mm-hmm. Um, so the budget we we loved working in advertising because we didn't live on the coast mm-hmm. so we were able to do our advertising contracts at a profit and we would put all that money away into our war chest mm-hmm. um but that was how we funded our studio mm-hmm. um we also and we also funded it on past revenue so if i see especially an indie team with a budget that expects their investor and normal, normal indie investor to fund like an entire studio of like seven plus people. Um, I wonder why they're not picking up contract work, even though it sucks Mm -hmm. because we did it for a decade. Um, We actually just finished our last contract last year, Mm -hmm. a full year after night in the woods came out, like Adam and I were still contracting um, like it was that particular one was an educational steam grant, um, doing cell tracing or something like tangentially related. Um, but that was buffering our risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so at no point was I ever totally emptying out our account because I was buffering it with these other weird, like six figure projects in education or advertising or, <clears throat> um, 
turnkey sort of database backendy stuff mm-hmm. um, because that's safe. Um, so yeah, uh, being an indie on the coasts very difficult. I'm sorry, you guys are both on the coast. It's so expensive. It's so expensive. Have a like, car. It's fun. Uh, <laughs> mobile studio yeah like my engineer for uh finji like just moved to like a small town sort of in the northwest someplace Mm -hmm. and she's able to just like travel around with her computer Mm. so she lives she has a super cheap apartment rent and then she just goes wherever she wants um and oftentimes that is on like in Seattle, but she can like hang out in Seattle for a while and then go back to her like super cheap apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so she can have this really cool indie life without like $15,000 a month mm-hmm. uh, burn rate on Finji. Cause I'd laugh at that. I feel like <laughs> I can't afford that. That's insane. So I have a question for you, uh, and it's kind of a segue here, but it's a little bit of a challenge. <clears throat> and just because it's actually been one of my fears is I think ideally if I were to start my own like indie studio, just the number that like, exists in my head is like $500,000 is like what I would go for. Um, do you think it's possible to achieve like a $500,000 investment through non-traditional like seed ranging or excuse me, seed funding or investors? But like you said, contract work. Would I be silly to think that I would be able to war chest style save five hundred thousand dollars? Maybe how many bit. years? Oh, years is not. Don't worry about years. Okay. Uh, I was well, like, could you it, could you save that right. up? Yes. Yeah. Could you do it in two years or less? Yes. But you would also have had to spend the last three or four years building up the contacts to get the contracts that were that big. Gotcha. <laughs> well, actually, you hit the nail on the head because I was going to say, how about five? So you actually just did a five-year breakdown. Yeah, no, you could do that in five. five. I've okay. done it in five. Okay. Um, that's about, it was a little bit under that, but that's about what I started with with Overland mm-hmm. um, like five years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, I had like maybe 385 when I started Overland, mm-hmm. um, which was past revenue and contract war chest. Okay. Um, and Adam told me I only need to pay for nine months. So I scheduled for like a year and a half. Yeah, I was going to say. And then I just kept it's like, how far can I stretch this? Yeah. Um, and I was able to stretch it pretty far before I needed to come up with some creative funding to bridge a gap between some more creative funding. Um, but yeah, can you, can you do that? Yes. Is it easy? No. Um, unless you're in very particular types of sort of turnkey projects mm-hmm. because every turnkey project you take one takes away from making your own game and two you're going to have to outsource at least part of those rates and outsourcing rates are higher than in-house rates does that make sense yeah you're going to pay somebody who's a freelancer more than you're going to pay somebody in-house because they have to shoulder the risk of having to find more work um, in dry spells. Um, but yeah, you could between contract work, if you're doing contract work and seed funding, you could totally do that probably in less time, depending on what kind of contracts you pick up. Um, but you'd need to be pretty aggressive about it. Um, more than that is going to be a heck of a lot harder. Um, usually I sort of top out, like I could 
probably find 300,000. And that's about where I top out. Like as I could probably do that. Mm-hmm. That sounds insane to say out loud. And I apologize. No, no, um, no it's okay. Please. Bring a picture for people who don't know in our list. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I could find if I needed like 30 to 50,000, uh, I can think of a ton of people right off the top of my head that would be like, well, is that a short-term investment? Are we looking at like a year and what's the return on it? And like, um, you know, for example, some of these people like, <laughs> totally would you totally like, would you like a list? Yeah, it's totally I'm a joke. I'm just Please don't out anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just like between people like in the industry who want to invest in other things existing, mm-hmm. those people exist, but also sort of outside of the industry, um, people in technology, people in um, sort of tangential industries, people from your hometown who uh, want to invest in a young entrepreneur that comes out of like your city. Like there is a lot of places. Um, even Finji is technically 51% owned by me mm-hmm. because if ever there's a women led company grant available that we might need, check you out. <laughs> uh, that was not our idea. Thanks lawyers back in 2006. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who did that. Um, but they were like, you know, this, you don't need it now, but maybe, mm-hmm. maybe someday you might need to apply for something. So take the extra 1%. That's awesome. So, Shout out to those lawyers. I know, right? Smart move. We were just like, whatever. We were 24 yeah. and 25. I was like, whatever. <laughs> Do whatever you want. I don't right. care. Well, I'd like to shift gears a little bit because, again, I said I'm a designer and you running a micro publishing wing of your company as well. I'm sure people have pitched games to you all the time. So, so I, many. I think it's only fair that, you know, we uh, we try our hand and I'd love to pitch a game idea to you live on the podcast. We've never done this before. Oh, God. Never at all. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. So how this game works is let me just try to, I'm not going to give you any lore or backstory. I'm just going to get right into the game. Okay. So my game idea is called the fast five. I'm going to ask you five rapid fire questions. And all I need from you is five rapid fire answers. Are you ready to play? Okay. All right. Question number one, what is the first analog or video game you remember beating? Beating a secret of mana. Oh, man, that's a classic like beating. It has to be secret of mana. SNES, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, question number two, favorite book or podcast on personal development? If you have one, you can pass if you don't. Uh, pass. Uh, all right. Question number three, a game you suck at, but wish you didn't. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> question number four, uh, name a game you would have made better if you were the creative director. What was Adam's last game? <laughs> She's like, Let me just look over this cubicle right here. Oh, uh, that I would have made better. <laughs> I make everything worse. Uh, oh my goodness! You know what? Uh, Celeste would be better with more pugs. Mm. You hear that, yeah. Matt and Noel? More pugs. <laughs> it's already thrown around the weight. <laughs> True creative director right there. Uh, Question number five, the ideal location for you to start a brand new video game development studio. Mm. You know what? Let's just go to Spain. 
All right. Proof. That's Southern a Spain. Decent time. I'll say decent time. You didn't crack top four, but decent, respectable time. <laughs> respectable time. <laughs> I the, actually the don't book and time. blog <laughs> the, the book and blog I was just or book and podcast I was just like who has time for this <laughs> it's honestly I was like I only read for pleasure at this point <laughs> okay well let's uh let's just take a mulligan and this isn't part of your time but you have a favorite <laughs> book that you could recommend to the audience the one that you just enjoy very much uh I really 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 love Jane Austen mm-hmm like just in general and um uh um it's so late right now and i'm blanking on titles because right. it's literally after midnight oh my god it's 12 35 um i can see it it's there it'll come to me give me a okay. second no worries if uh if you remember it at any time and like, i'll just you know, shout like, it out that's yeah, what i do we'll at home in the show notes it's all good uh, thanks for playing my game. It's you're the very first person to play that. I promise. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, it's our little impromptu kind of catch you off guard, but you know, get the energy back up kind of game. <laughs> so I always try to look for a funny way to introduce it each week. It's so, a good trick. It's yeah. a good game. Thank nice. you. Oh, you hear that, everybody? You hear that? All the teachers so- who said games won't take me anywhere in life. Boom in your face. <laughs> You'll be signed eight months later. <laughs> So uh, I just have a, a, a last question and we can uh, close this up. Um, so you've been through many pitches. You've done a lot of pitches. If there were top three things that you feel would be uh, very good to have to impress someone you're pitching to right away, what would those be? What would the lesson be? Do I have to dress sharp? Yeah, this speak no, clearly. none of that. Okay. You can show up in like ripped jeans and a hoodie. Okay. I don't care. Uh, one, focus on the art style. Um, and I don't mean that in like kind of a weird way, but in like know what's special about the art style and what makes it different. Um, so if I look at a screenshot, I want to think about your game and not necessarily someone else's. Okay. Um, that's one. Two, don't sell someone else's game better than you sell your own in the first line. So it's like that game, but this yeah, exactly. Okay, it's it's like this amazing thing that sold eight billion copies, and this game that sold eight billion copies, and this one too. And I'm like, well, I'm just gonna go play those other three. You just sold them really well. Um, and we had to be really careful with this because um people really like to talk or we didn't even make it up. Some journalists actually called Overland years and years ago, XCOM meets Oregon trail, mm-hmm. which is not true at all. But we're like, I don't know if we should use that out loud because mm-hmm. it's not true. And I don't necessarily want someone talking about XCOM, but I want them to think about XCOM. Mm-hmm. I need them to scratch the itch, but not go play XCOM. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a great game, you should totally play it. Right. Um, that's the second thing. And the third thing is know your audience. Um, I have sat in many a pitch and watched many a pitch and watched many of talk where somebody will literally say, girls won't play my game. Uh, or they'll make some sort of like offhand gender biased comment mm-hmm. about their players. Mm-hmm. Or they assume their demographic doesn't 
allow women players. And for a publisher, even though we know like, you know, the strategy genre or the fighting genre, like we know there's a gender disparity there. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily want there to be one. Mm -hmm. We want to sell more copies of the game, but if you're already coming in from a design and this is for me, I don't know about other publishers, but for us, if we think that you're already being exclusionary, um, it makes us like super sad. Like, well, mm-hmm. why, why, why would you think that nobody would want to play your game mm-hmm. in your brain? Everyone should want to play your game, including like my grandma mm-hmm. and my mom mm-hmm. and my in-laws, like, and my idiot children who run around my house all day <laughs> screaming, everyone should want to play it. And that's the kind of enthusiasm I want to see, but like honest, right. um, but it's happened multiple times. Like I've like, I'm pitched a game that quote girls won't play. Wow. And it kills me because I'm like, hello, audience. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> lady. you want my money? Oh, I'm <laughs> lady right here. What would be impressive is I bring in your mom, your sisters. Like, look, they love like, me. <laughs> how am I going to sell this? You're literally yeah. pitching to a woman right now. Do they, do I'm the, too petty to be you because I'd be like, oh, I oh, just no, don't I called understand your money. I don't understand your game at all. My money is too scared to invest in it. I just don't get this. Right, the, right. Last keeping time, the last time there was like an actual like, I got to interrupt, mm-hmm. <laughs> which because like one, that's going to help. Yeah. Two, it might have been intentional, unintentional. Three, it was terror. And four, they don't necessarily know their demographic information. Right. That's my job. Mm. Uh. Like you can guess, but like Mm -hmm. my job or a much bigger publisher's job is to know one, how much money you're making or going to make and two, what your demographic probably is going to be. And they probably know your comparables a lot better than you do. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, actually, um, if you don't mind me jumping in, because you're about to hit something I would love to ask. And it's right now is relevant to ask. You're saying like, it's okay for you not to know that that's my job as far as like the demographic. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's way better. uh, so like you'd be okay like hey Larry I see your budget I see your projections but come on kid I was cackling like I said earlier I cack yeah no there's you a lot of I mean? cackling when you yeah. see how many copies people are going to sell uh, because there's a lot of information out there that says you know most steam games sell 2,000 copies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a good yeah. steam game 20 to 30,000 and like you need to make sure you place your budget in like my overland budget is started out at about 30,000. That's all we had to sell is like 30,000 copies. And we're up to like 58 or 60,000 copies. That's all I have to sell, which is a ton of copies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I know I can do that. Mm-hmm. And it it would be a shocker if I don't, because I'm already partway there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so understand how few copies actually get sold is like a really important thing. And then you have to really think about your budget around that. So if you're making a game that is probably only going to sell like 20,000 copies and you want a publisher that makes a profit on that, your budget has to be below, let's just pick a $20 price point. Mm-hmm. 70% of that $20 or $20 price point is like, what is that? 14 ish. It's mm-hmm. like 1399 usually sure. uh, times 20,000. And then you got to take the publisher's cut out of it. And that's, max studio income gotcha like and when you and then you're like well i've got like five people and you're like okay well good you've paid them for about three months 
Mm. Um, so like, <laughs> yeah, the numbers are terrifying. I mean, I'm lying. It's a little bit more than three months, but like the numbers are scary and publishers know the numbers way better than you will. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's okay to be like, I'm pretty sure it will sell and be positioned a lot like X. I think we can do this and this because this really special thing about my game, um, talk about the way you are positioning it. Talk about the way, um, people outside of your project are talking about your project. If they have already, um, when you're at shows, listen to how people talk about your project and use the words that you hear repeated a lot. Um, because everyone, people who don't know about your game, describe your game better than you do. Mm -hmm. Um, because they're going to be selling it to their friends. And that is how you're going to want to sell it to your publishers, um, at least as a starting point. Um, So yeah, you don't need to have your projections. You don't know the numbers. You don't run necessarily Steam backends, unless you've already launched a game before. Mm -hmm. In which case, use your numbers (laughs) to prove that you have an audience base. Whether you bring it or not is beside the point. Um. A publisher will know, well, they may not buy it because you're jumping genre or you launched that seven years ago and they don't know who you are anymore, whatever. Mm. But yeah, you can't come in and be like, I'm going to sell. If you throw down, I'm going to sell 100,000 copies. Uh, We inhale silently (laughs) um, as like in the indie space because there's so few games that do. And if you're like, well, I'm going to launch on switch, but you don't necessarily, you haven't thought through necessarily how you're going to do that. Like you've never done console development. Um, you should also know that, Mm -hmm. or at least do so like either a decide whether you're going to do it in house or B be like, we're probably going to need some porting help, understand what porting means and what a porting studio is. And maybe do some research on how much that costs because that all Like as a publisher, we know that, but if we see a developer understanding those costs, like that's like, oh my God, there's somebody on that team that is a producer. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds crazy, but like, that's the one point, like biz dev and production are the two things that game, like small game dev teams just completely ignore. And then somebody falls into it. Uh, Me. But I was, I didn't even start there. Like I just, I come from a background. I'm really good at business. And I just took it over because literally no one else that was on any of our teams would ever do the trash that I do every day. Um, So yeah, like it's not hard to find out some of this information and none of it's confidential, but like, how do you launch a game on a console? How do you go through certification? Um, that's like a couple of questions and having like a base understanding of how that works before you go into a pitch meeting. If you're going to say, I want to launch on switch or PlayStation or Xbox, um, just shows that you're slightly ahead of the curve that you are, uh, curious about the industry and how it works and how you are going to take your game from where it is to getting out to a consumer who's going to play it. Amen. This is like the gold standard right here. I hope, I hope people listen to this episode three times. (laughs) A lot of good info and send me hate mail <laughs> f you becca you've destroyed my dreams <laughs> i'm sorry i love you i'll give you a hug at gdc she's like look remember business i'm this version outside of that completely friends yeah hugs coffee yeah. we'll go running together yeah <laughs> well i mean i have to say 
We've been podcasting for over an hour now, and I know you probably want to get to bed, but it's your birthday still. It is my birthday. We are. It's still your birthday. (laughs) So I have to tell you that your gift is Brandon and I are just going to be absolutely quiet. We're going to step away from the microphones. We're going to give you total control of our soundstage, and you can talk directly to our audience to shout out, to promote or raise awareness for something you're involved in. Thank an old teacher from back in the day, whatever it is that you want to shine some spotlight on. Uh, Without further ado, the floor is yours. Okay. Uh, well, I guess if you like anything I said or didn't, uh, it has no bearing on the cool projects that I work on. So I'm launching two games this year. Uh, Wilmot's Warehouse, which is made by uh, Ricky Haggett and Dick Hogg, who are sort of some of the creators behind Hohokam, which is like this brilliant game from several years ago. Um, that's going to be coming out sort of latest springish. Uh, it's about as vague as I can get. <laughs> Um, and then Overland will be coming out later this year, um, which has been in development for five years. And I've also got Tunic in the pipeline. That's an Xbox console launch exclusive. Um, I've got so many things going on right now, but we're like a kind of fun studio to hang out with. We run like a really cool discord with all of my devs. They just hang out in there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about our pets and uh, baking bread and clothing and i don't know it's a weird place it's great um and then yeah i guess yeah if i'm gonna shout out anybody like thanks to my uh amazing husband who dragged me into this industry billion years ago um that's adam saltzman and yeah our two horrible little goblins who are six and almost eight and keep us keep us honest um here in michigan Man, that was touching too. uh, (laughs) Shout out to your kids as well. I hope they become awesome, whatever they want to be. And if they end up doing game development as well, that doesn't hurt my feelings not one bit. Um, That's all the nice things I can say. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. But it is late for me too. I got to say good night. Thank you for joining us. See you guys next week. Bye, guys. So thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope that you're a subscriber, but if you aren't, please feel free to follow us on any of the major podcast platforms, especially iTunes or Spotify. You can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer. Just go on over to our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, then definitely come check us out in Discord where we chat in real time for After Show Tuesdays to discuss episodes and Feedback Fridays where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on. If you go over to Patreon.com, you can support our podcast financially. And if you do so, you get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast.